Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Parklawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. During our time of worship, I felt in my spirit the Lord just appreciating as an instance the worship that was going forth that we were thanking him that he has been so good and he has opened up doors but he wanted us to be reminded that even today he is still good and he is opening up doors even now I'm saying that because that is really the the spirit of the word that God has given me today it's really a word Although it will be declared in the form of preaching, it is a prophetic word that God is speaking over our church and also over our city. I was just discussing with, uh, with Pastor Marcus some of the uh, recent reports, and not only recently, but probably for the last 20 years or so, Milwaukee has been noted for a number of um, disparities and uh, including a recent report about the, it being one of the worst cities in America for African-American people. Uh, I believe that Milwaukee is a city of destiny. And certainly we have some challenges. But I want us to understand, and Paul told us this in Ephesians chapter 6, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Milwaukee's problems and the issues of Milwaukee are not just crime and violence and joblessness and the educational system and all of the things that we look at with our natural eyes we're in a spiritual warfare Paul told us that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and against powers and against spiritual wickedness and rulers that are in the heavenly places and if we simply fight the battle with political means and economic strategies and educational reform which is probably what we have done primarily in the history of most cities when we address problems and we fail to address them with with the power of the Holy Spirit manifested in the lives of the people of God along with those other strategies we'll continue to have the dilemma that we have and then we're in a season right now where even at our church we're experiencing new levels there's a shift that we are in the midst of. And new levels always bring new devils. For about two weeks, the Lord has uh, just impressed upon me 
um, to just be praying and doing spiritual warfare against some of the principalities that are attacking our city, even principalities that are, that are assigned to attack the destiny and assignment of this church and the people that are in this church. This morning in our intercessory prayer time, I had to show up and pray for our intercessors. We need to be praying for those who have been called to watch on the wall. We have to be praying also for um, our armor bearers, those who are close to the leadership of this church. You better watch out because an arrow that's targeted for us, it might just hit you. We need to be praying. And, and this is not even part of my, my, my outline, my text that I'll get to in a moment. But in Revelation, it tells us that the devil knows that he has just but a short time. He knows that he has but a short time. And so he has been dispelled and kicked out of heaven. But where is he now? The scripture told us, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. Who lives in the sea? Huh. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. And, and, and so for the last couple of weeks, the Lord has been reminding me and, it's, and years ago, I read a book by former pastor Dick Brunell of the San Jose Christian Center Church. And it was a book on spiritual warfare. And it was a book before its time. It was a book on spiritual mapping and how to pray strategically and regionally. And every city has a different spiritual assignment and will deal with different levels of spiritual warfare. And in his book, he talked about cities that are located by bodies of water. Cities on the East Coast that are bordered by the Atlantic Ocean. Cities on the South that are Atlantic by the Gulf, bordered by the Gulf. Cities on the West bordered by the Pacific Ocean. And, and even cities like Milwaukee, Chicago, Gary, Indiana that are bordered by Lake Michigan and lakes and rivers. And Milwaukee is a city that has four rivers that are flowing through it. In the book of Genesis, it tells us that the Garden of Eden had four rivers flowing through it. And our four rivers are flowing into Lake Michigan. So there, is, there are spiritual demons that have been assigned to bodies of water. They're called marine spirits. One of the warfares that we're seeing right now is this spirit of recklessness and violence and just devastation. I'll run you over and just keep on going. Just, just recklessness. I believe that that's a manifestation of the warfare that we're in spiritually. And so we need to be rising up with spiritual discernment and praying in the heavenlies. Not afraid, because Mark 16 tells us that these signs will follow them that believe in my name. In my name they will cast out, drive out demons. The word cast, a demon, literally is the word ekbala, which means to drive out with force. We will speak with new tongues. I hope you're speaking in tongues. Because this level of warfare that we're in right now, just your natural language ain't going to do it. You're going to have to have a heavenly language. In my name, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. It's letting us know the enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. 
that's the season that we're in. That's the assignment and destiny upon this house. Let me get to my, my text this morning. It's in Acts chapter 28. In Acts 28. This takes place at a city that's by a shore, by a body of water. <laughs> and it's interesting that there are demonic spirits and there are manifestations of illnesses and sickness that occur in this city that are not just natural because they're dealt with by supernatural spiritual powers of heaven. Let me begin in verse 1. This is Paul writing, speaking. Luke was writing the book of Acts, but Paul was speaking. Paul says, once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous stake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief officer Chief, chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him. Laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. And as a result, we were showered with honors. When the time came to sail, People supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. This text is, is prophetic of what's happening in this season right now at this church. As we're moving into greater realms of the glory of God, as we're bestowing honor naturally upon one another and honor upon God, that precipitates, just like rain from heaven, it precipitates the glory of the Lord. It precipitates the favor of God. It precipitates finances coming into our life. It precipitates all of the blessings of heaven, all the desires of our hearts, God says he will give us as we delight ourselves in him. But also with that manifestation of his presence comes spiritual warfare. The snakes will come out. The demons that have been assigned to hinder you from experiencing all that God has for you will come out. They will manifest themselves because Satan is never just going to step aside and let you walk into what God has for you. He's always going to resist you. Oh, they've come out at Park Lawn. You may not have seen them. That's why you have to have spiritual discernment and spiritual eyesight in this season. poisonous snake came out driven by the heat <laughs> demons do not like the fire of God if you are under attack spiritually by the forces of hell this is a prayer that you can pray 
in the name of Jesus, I release the fire of God against every principality and power. That demon will flee. They don't like the fire of God. You know why? Because that's their destiny. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, his demons. They don't like fire. So it came out from the fire attached to Paul's hands. But see, Paul, when you know who you are in Christ, you know you can stand on Mark 16, 15. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. We got any believers in here? In my name they shall cast out demons. In my name they shall speak with new tongues. In my name if they drink any deadly poisonous thing it shall not harm them. We trample on serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the devil. In his name we lay hands on the sick. So Paul knew who he was in Christ and shook the snake back into the fire. And the people were superstitious. We're in the midst of a, of a generation of people, especially young people, that are looking for manifestations of power. They're enthralled by fantasy and video games and imaginations and the mind. They're looking for the miracle signs and wonders. Our kids don't need video games. They need to see the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I guarantee they see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Jay took our youth to a youth conference this year and there was prophetic words that were spoken to our young folks, I guarantee they put their cell phone down and listened. This text message can wait. God is speaking. God has my attention. They need to see a bush that's burning and not consumed. They will turn aside to see that. The people were expecting. They had this superstition that, that if, a, if a person got bitten by a poisonous snake, it was justice. It was fate. It was, uh, what do we call it on the streets? What goes around comes around. It's coming back at them. So they're getting what they deserve. They didn't die on the sea, but now justice is making sure that they die. But instead of dying, Paul just shook it off in the snake. They kept on watching him. The world is watching. It's looking for the church to, to reveal the glory and the power of God. Not just come to church on Sunday. But something happens when you come. They assumed he was a murderer. But when they didn't see him, they didn't see anything happen to him. They, they figured, well, this man is not a murderer. He must have some special power. He's a God. No, he wasn't God. He knew God. He had the power of God flowing on the inside of him. And then he demonstrated it by laying hands on the chief official's father, praying for him who was ill. Now, we never, we never rebuke God, so sickness does not come from God. Paul is not praying against God's will. If, if this sickness was from God, Paul would have left it alone. He's praying against this illness, this fever, this dysentery, because it's not the will of God, it's from the forces of hell. And Because he knows who he is and he knows who God is, the sickness and the fever left. And not only did he lay hands on him, but other sick people on the island came and were healed. And this is the key. This is where I'm going in verse 10. As a result, we were showered with honors. We were showered with honors. When the church, the church that begins to manifest this level of power and glory will be showered with many honors. 
The Lord told me to, to frame this message today, to get ready for your time of honor. Get ready for your time of honor. This is the season for your honor. Galatians 6 tells us to not be weary in doing well. Because you will reap in due season if you just don't quit. Get ready. This is your season of honor. He hasn't just opened up doors for us in the past. He's opening up doors right now. The Lord is saying that it is your time, that your payday is coming. Those who, like in Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6, those who have sown in tears, who have planted in tears. Listen, when, you, when you're planting, that's, lab, that's laborious. That's, you're getting your dirt under your fingernails. You're messing up your manicure. You're getting calluses. You've labored. You, you've worked hard. You sweat it. Blood, toil, sweat, and tears. You sacrifice, you've invested, you have sown in tears, you have wept while you've been faithful to your spouse, while you have been faithful to, to your children, while you have been faithful to God, while you have been faithful to your employer, while you have been faithful to the gifts and the call of God upon your life, you have wept. Those who have sown or planted in tears, they will harvest with shouts of joy. They will weep as they go to plant their seed, but they will sing as they return from the harvest, says the Lord. In Revelation 3 and 8, the Lord says, I know your works. I know your works. See, God sees. I see. I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. God says, I see. You've been faithful. You haven't been perfect. <laughs> You've been faithful, though. And I see. I know your works. I know your weakness, but I know your works also. I know your wickedness, but I know your works also. <laughs> and I have set before you an open door. And God says, get ready for your time of honor. I want to I spend the latter part of my time in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther. The book of Esther reveals four things. It reveals God's providence. It reveals Haman's plot. It reveals Esther's peril and Mordecai's prayer. The, the name God is not even mentioned or recorded in Esther. You don't see God. You don't see Jesus. <laughs> but we see his providence. That means we see God working behind the scenes, working all things together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. You see the favor of God. Some, some people don't understand why they promoted you. You didn't have the degree. <laughs> you just showed up. And somebody been here 20 years, but you got promoted. That's God's providence. He's working behind the scenes in the book of Esther. Esther, this, this, this orphaned child whose parents had died, providentially adopted by her older cousin Mordecai. Esther, in the kingdom, 
at a time where the king has fired the queen, God's providence. Esther being given a, a gift of beauty, a gift of intelligence, a gift of grace, God's providence. And the king being given the counsel to, to open up a search, a star search, if you will, an American idol for the next queen of Persia, God's providence. Esther being taken into the king's harem, God's providence. Esther being ushered and, and, and given uh, her choice of whatever it is she wanted, but she, she humbled herself and submitted herself to the chief eunuch and said, whatever you want me to have, that's what I'll take, God's providence. And Esther being found more favorable in the eyes of the king than anybody else, that's God's providence. But in Esther chapter 2, I want to show you this. Show you how God also works providentially to open up doors for you. Get ready for your time of honor. In, in Esther 2, verse 21, one day as Mordecai, this is Esther's uncle, one day as Mordecai was on duty, everybody say on duty. Don't expect God to elevate you if you're not on duty. <laughs> God got to come and find you. Where they at? They supposed to be on duty. No, they on break. They've been on break for three years. God can't honor you if you're not on duty. God can't honor you if you're not sowing in tears, if you're, not, if you're not sweating, if you're not laboring, if you're not sacrificing. Don't expect him. He can't open up doors for you. You're shutting heaven over your own life. You've got to be faithful to the call of God. You've got to be loyal. Get off of your lazy do nothing. And do something for the Lord. You've got to be on duty. That's just extra. I wasn't even planning to say that. Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate. That was his assignment. And two of the king's eunuchs, Bichthana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, these are men who stood outside the king's bedroom at night, making sure no creeps got in and he didn't creep out. They became angry at King Xerxes and they plotted to assassinate him. You gotta watch those people that are close to you. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. God's providence made sure that Mordecai's loyalty was recorded in history. That's the providence of God. The enemy is always trying hard and fighting to keep you from your time of honor trying to distract, trying to discourage, trying to derail, trying to defeat you. And it's because he despises the image of God in you. Now we come to Haman's plot. Haman, the name Haman means magnificent. Haman was a visor, or you, if you will, he was the prime minister working for the king of Persia. In the scripture, he's called the Agatite. Look at Esther chapter 3, verse 1. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman 
son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, Agagite, excuse me, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. The Agagites were descendants of the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the bitterest enemies of the Jews. The Amalekites were those who, who came out and slaughtered and destroyed violently the weak, the, the elderly, the, uh, those who were, who were not able to keep up with the rest of the tribe as they were marching through the wilderness. The Amalekites came from the rear, said, we're not going to fight you head on, we're going to come to the rear. And we're going to kill the babies. That's that spirit we're dealing with today. It's a Malachite spirit. We're going to kill the elderly. We're going to kill those who, who say, y'all just going ahead. I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm taking my time, but I'm coming. The innocent, the defenseless. Verse 2 says, all the king's officials, they would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded, but Mordecai, refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but he still refused to comply with the order. Can you just see everybody else bowing down and Mordecai just standing up like, who you? I only bow to the king of glory. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct since Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. That's what the devil feels about you. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. So in the month of April, during the 12th year of King Xerxes' reigns, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim to determine the best day in the month to take action, and the day selected was March 7th, nearly a year later. Let me go down to verse 8. So Haman approached King Xerxes, and this is his plot. There is a certain race of people scattered throughout all the providences of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people. They refuse to obey the laws of the king, so it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed. And I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. So the king agreed confirming his decision by removing his signet from his ring, from his finger, and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. So Haman's plot, like the devil, is to kill you. Huh. God was still working providentially. You know one of the things that I've, I've, I love about God? God won't take the devil out of the world yet. He sent him here for a reason. Remember that scripture, Revelation 12? He warned, the, he warned the earth and the sea that the devil has been cast down to you and he knows that he has but a short time. God has the devil down here even on an assignment. The devil is down here to perfect the saints. 
to perfect your prayer life, to perfect your praise and make it pure, to prepare you for warfare in, this, in the heavenly realm, to teach you how to fight, to build your faith. The devil is, he thinks he's destroying you, but he's really just helping you. The devil is God's devil. He can only go so far. He's not omniscient. He don't know everything. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. So stop rebuking the devil all the time. It ain't him. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. He's not the equal of God. He's God's devil. God created him. So this plot has been signed. It's been executed. In chapter 4 of Esther, Mordecai reads the the decree. He sees all the posters that are going through all the land and he gets a copy of it that has been issued in Susa in verse 8. It called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathash to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He asked Hathash to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. Now we're going to see Esther's peril all the king's officials in verse 11. And even the people in the province know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his golden scepter. The king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathath gave Esther's message to Mordecai, and Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace that you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and release, relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. I love that scripture. Such a time as this. It's your time. It's your time for honor. Sometimes God disguises your honor as a peril, as a problem, as a plot. So in verse 15, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. She said, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days. It's time to fast and pray, y'all. I'm telling you, new levels bring new devils. You can't just be a Sunday-only Christian and have victory over the powers of darkness. You better have some intimacy with the Lord. Turn the TV off. Turn off talk radio sometimes. Get your head out the magazines and put your head in. Get out of Facebook and get in the book. Amen. The Bible, it's time to fast and pray. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in and I will see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything that Esther had ordered. In chapter 5, verse 1, on the third day of the fast... Esther put on her royal robes. She entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne, facing the entrance, and when he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. That's favor, y'all. God's not even mentioned, but I'm telling you, if the Lord is for us, who can be against us? Then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you in 
if it is half of the kingdom? Esther replied, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet that I have prepared for the king. <laughs> now Haman finds out about the banquet invitation. In verse 9 of chapter 5, he's happy. He's happy as a lark, y'all. He, uh, he, he was a happy man as he left the banquet. When he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace, now this is after the banquet that day, Again, he passed Mordecai. Everybody else is bowing, but Mordecai did not stand up. He was not trembling nervously before him. Haman became furious. However, he restrained himself and he went on home. And when Haman got home, he called all of his friends and his wife's name Zeresh. And he boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. That's just like the devil. He bragged about the honors that the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and then Haman said and if that's not all Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow and then he added but this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate so Haman's wife said set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall and in the morning ask the king to impale Mordecai on it when this is done you can go on your merry way to the banquet and the king and the thing pleased, pleased Hammond and he ordered the pole to be set up now put your seatbelt on right now chapter 6 I'm telling you the bombs getting ready to drop I'm, I might just drop the mic after this scripture too <laughs> chapter 6 that night that night that night, I'm telling you, get ready for your time of honor. That night, the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. And in those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bichthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. And the king said, what reward or recognition? What honor, what glory, what recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this, the king asked. His attendant replied, nothing has been done for him. Nothing. We didn't do anything. The record says, yes, he revealed the plot, but the record never shows you honoring Mordecai for it. And at that moment, the king says, who is that in the outer court? I see somebody. I hear somebody out there. King inquired, and it happened that it was Haman. He had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole. <laughs> Whoo! The devil think he's trying to trying to kill you, and, and, and but God is setting you up for honor. Just that moment that Haman is coming to ask the king to kill Mordecai, the king says, "Bring Haman in." So they ushered him in. Haman came in, the king said, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought he was talking about him. Well, you know, he thought to himself, he says, well, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes as well as a horse, the one that the king himself has written on. 
one with the royal emblem on its head, and let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one that the king most nobles, one of the king's most noble officials. In other words, let one of the king's noble officials pull the horse along that I'm going to be riding on while I'm wearing the king's robe. And let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in all the king's robes and lead them through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone whom he wishes to honor. The king says, excellent. Quick, go and take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai, the Jew. the one who sits at the gate of the palace, and don't leave out anything that you have suggested. I'm telling you, this is made for TV right here. So Haman took the robes, he put them on Mordecai. Can you just see the egg on his face? I don't know if he was European-American or European-Persian and his cheeks were red, but if they were darker like mine, you might not have been able to see him blush, but I'm sure that he was beat red with anger. Putting the robe upon Mordecai. And then, had to, come on, get up on the horse. Had to help him up on the horse. On the king's own horse. Then had to lead him through the city square. Shouting, this is what the king does for anyone whom he wishes to honor. After Mordecai was done, he returned to the palace gate. But Haman hurried home, dejected and completely humiliated. The Lord says to each and every one of you that there is a king. There is a king exerces who cannot sleep tonight until they rise up to honor you. God has placed honor in layaway for you. But the Lord says, get ready, it's your time for honor. That the honor is going to locate you, it's going to find you, it's going to fund you, it's going to expand you. Is going to manifest the dreams and the vision that God has placed in your heart. You've got to be on duty. You've got to be in the place where your honor resides. And the honor is not always behind a pulpit. Sometimes the honor is, is, is watching over cars in the parking lot. Sometimes the honor is burping babies in the nursery. Sometimes your honor is slaving over a stove, washing dishes, making up beds, doing laundry. You've got to be in the place where your honor resides. In order for God to cause a king not to be able to sleep that night, because that king is going to be used to open up the door for you to walk into your honor. God said, get ready for your time of honor. Just like Paul had to go through shipwreck, tossed at sea, floating to, to the shore on a piece of the ship that fell apart, cold, wet, rainy, 
Now you got to gather up some sticks. Hopefully enough of them are going to be dry so you can start a fire. And you gather near the fire and a snake jumps out and bites you on the hand. But instead of dying, you get stronger. Because that's just God positioning you for the people to see so they can shower you with honors. What Satan meant for evil, God says he's going to work together for your good. And those of you who are just about to quit, those of you who had grown weary, those of you who are just about to faint, God said, don't be weary in doing good. Keep on doing good. Keep on standing. Keep on fighting. Keep on weeping. Keep on praying. Keep on investing. Keep on giving. Keep on sacrificing. Keep on serving. Keep on worshiping. Keep on lifting your hands in praise and thanks. Keep on living holy. Keep on speaking encouragement. Keep it up. Because you're going to reap in due season. Heartline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkland Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.